Um, So the first part of the Bible reading is Psalm 119, verses 1 to 10. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. And the second part of the Bible reading is from Matthew 7. Uh, verses 21 to 27. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who did not who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Well, thanks, Audrey, and uh, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Matt, and I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and it's great to have you with us this morning, and I see our regulars as well as we continue on our series in Discipleship as we seek to kind of draw out as a church what it means not to just be kind of believers in truths about Jesus, but to be disciples of Jesus who follow him wholeheartedly. We've already seen in the series that disciples of Jesus are know that they've been saved by grace, that it's Jesus' death on the cross that wipes clean our record of sin and restores our relationship with God. Last week we saw how disciples of Jesus are devoted to him And we explored a little what a life of devotion looks like and how we can kind of cultivate an increasing sense of devotion to Jesus. And this week, we are going to explore together why disciples of Jesus are themselves grounded in Scripture. And I want to begin today uh, with a question for you. It's a simple one, but please listen carefully. How do you feel about reading the Bible? Now, particularly for those who've been a Christian a while, I didn't ask you what's the theologically correct right answer to what we should give about reading our Bible. I asked you how you felt about reading the Bible, which is a totally different question. If you're here just checking out who Jesus is for the first time, or Church and Jesus for the first time in a long time, uh, welcome. 
connecting new people to Jesus or people back to Jesus is what we're all about as a church. That's why we plant churches and try and multiply everything we do. We're very glad that you've come today and we do hope that you'll make it a habit to be with us regularly. We are a church that has a very high view of the Bible, that it is God's Word to us and the whole Bible is profitable to teach us, correct us, change us. And if you look back through our sermon archives, you'll see that we kind of range fairly widely through the Bible to some of the less well-known and less loved parts. God's Word, the Bible, is central to everything we do. And if, we st- if you stick with us, I do hope that you come to love it as the primary means in which we can know God and see His great plans for the world. How they all come together in Jesus and how through Jesus we can have a living relationship with God today that actually changes everything. We're also a church that kind of seeks to keep it real for one of a, a better term. I want to keep saying there's no profit in coming together and pretending like we have it uh, all together. And as we look at the practicalities of being a disciple of Jesus, grounded in Scripture, I want to say up front that many Christians, myself included at times, find reading the Bible regularly quite hard. So as I ask you again, how do you feel about reading the Bible? What would you say? Where would you put yourself on sort of a, a sliding scale of kind of duty over here or delight over there? Some of you I know are at a time where it does feel like a delight and I've had lots of wonderful conversations in recent weeks of real kind of spiritual substance with people as we've wrestled with the book of Judges together as a church. But also for many others, I think we'd answer something a little bit more along the lines of, well, I know I ought to love it, but in all honesty, I'm not sure that I do. It feels a bit more like duty rather than delight or I know I would benefit from reading it and getting to know the Bible better but in terms of how I spend my week those intentions really follow through to actions. I kind of wish it were different and given that's the case for some, maybe even many of us, I really want to do something much more today than simply give you the right kind of theological case for how disciples of Jesus should be grounded in Scripture. I want to make a real appeal to the heart as well on why being grounded in Scripture is something that can transform us. It can can transform how we interpret life, how we feel about life, all for the better, in ways that then flow through to our actions and the decisions that we make that through that whole process actually does transform our experience of this life, seeking to bring glory to God and blessing to others. So in other words, I want to make a a modest start at least today in changing the way that you feel about reading the Bible. I want to finish on a very kind of practical case study of how it all ties together and see where we go from there. And to do that, we're going to begin by looking at the first of our Bible readings in Psalm 119. So it'd be great to have your blue Bibles open in front of you to page 610. You know I say that every week and 
this would be the most ironic week not to do so. So as you turn uh, to Psalm 119, I'll point out it is the longest psalm in the Bible by quite a bit, and you'll notice some interesting Hebrew characters every now and then, you know, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, and so on, kind of scattered throughout it, which is the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119 is the Hebrew kind of A to Z of the psalmist reflecting on his delight in knowing God through his word. And right from the outset, in verse 1, he tells us why. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Our writer is seeking the blessed life, the good life. And he tells us that blessing comes to those who walk according to God's word. Now, I keep using the kind of generic God's word here because as you scan down the psalm, you can see that in almost every verse there's a different kind of turn of phrase kind of referring to the way God speaks to us uh, through his word in the Bible. Verse 1, law of the Lord, his statutes, verse 2, follow his ways, verse 3, God's precepts, verse 4, decrees, verse 5, God's commands, verse 6. All these kind of different turns of phrase are just kind of riddled throughout this very long psalm, repeated and repurposed, all with the goal of showing us that true blessing and security, purpose, guidance and meaning come to those who will delight in knowing God through His Word. From later in the psalm, we read things like, Your Word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path, verse 105. Or verse 111, your statutes are are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Or verse 114, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Here is someone who is delighting in God's word. And I think expressing this desire for blessing, this desire for the good life, is something quite common to all of humanity. No matter what people's worldview is, what their culture is, whether they believe in some form of God or follow a guru, people are generally speaking the good life, which in kind of biblical term of phrase is seeking a life of blessing. And our psalmist is no different. It is putting forward a case that I think to the modern ear uh, kind of runs against much of our current wisdom. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. And again, verse 4, speaking to God, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Now, not many people in the street would probably put forward uh, that that blessing in the good life come from obeying some form of kind of heavenly rule book. We tend to think of rules and laws negatively as things that inhibit our freedom, reduce our joy. We tend not to delight in them. Yet our psalmist, as he meditates on God's law, clearly thinks quite the opposite. And to understand that, you need to know the God who sits behind such laws and decrees as the God who made it all. Uh, Psalm 104 is one of uh, my favourite psalms which gives voice to such knowledge about our Creator God, 
that it was he who made the springs that pour water into the ravines, that turn into the rivers, that run through mountains. This God who made the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, who makes grass grow to feed the cattle, plants for people to cultivate and bring forth food from the earth for us. A God who loves us and delights in us by providing wine to gladden the human heart, bread to sustain us. A God who, when he opens his hand to bless, brings satisfaction and good things. This is the God in whom our psalmist trusts, whose laws and decrees are good because he is the good creator God who knows the very best way for us to live in this world because he created us for it, to live here reflecting on and and, uh, being part of his glory. Yet back in our reading in verse 119, in verses 5 and 6, they kind of bring a note of reality to all, to you know, kind of such lofty thoughts. He says in verse 5, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider your commands. Our psalmist kind of taps into the human experience that our ways are not God's ways. We are not steadfast in obeying God. And standing next to God's holiness and goodness only highlights our sins and our shame. Something is by nature wrong with the relationship between us and God. We don't instinctively love what He loves. Our hearts lead us into actions that bring suffering and pain through disobedience. This comes through human sin as we read as the Bible opens up of humanity rebelling against our Creator God and choosing to go its own way. As, Christian have, as Christians have reflected on uh, the issue of sin and all of its effects in the world and kind of gathered their thoughts from the Bible and everything the Bible has to say about it, which is quite a lot, one of the kind of doctrines that seeks to kind of tie it all together and explain it is the not particularly cheery-sounding doctrine of total depravity. It doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could possibly be, that just doesn't ring true with the many examples that we see right across the world through different cultures of self-sacrifice, kindness, honesty. Uh, Humanity still does reflect some of the beautiful character of our Creator God. No, the doctrine of total depravity means that every aspect, every facet of what it means to be truly human is tainted by sin. Everything about us is at least just a little bit broken, a little bit bent out of shape. Our sexuality, our self-confidence, our ability to rightly interpret the actions of others, our understanding of God and His character, our understanding of ourselves. Everything, including our desires and our feelings. Uh, To quote Christopher Ashe, who, reflecting on Psalm 119, wrote a great little book called uh, Bible Delight. He says, we do not feel as we ought to feel. Sometimes we are happy at others' misfortune or sad at their success. We do not want what we ought to want. Our loves are disordered. 
we love what we ought to hate and shun what we ought to desire. I think that rings true of the human experience the world over. On our own, you'd have to say we have a terrible sense of direction, so to speak, of where blessing and human wholeness comes from. We kind of reflected that in the song that the kids sang this morning, God's Map the Bible. You know, without God's Map the Bible, we don't really know which way to go. We have a terrible sense of direction. But our psalmist is seeking to point us in the right direction towards a God who longs to bless, a God who longs to restore our wholeness. Our Creator God, a God who loves us, a God whom we can trust. So we're told again and again in many and varied ways that blessing comes to those who seek God with all of their heart. Blessing is found in obedience to Him as we learn from His Word. And I kind of want to point out too, it's not as if God's law, we somehow discover some kind of heavenly checkerbox list of the right and wrong ways to live in this world. God's law is so much deeper and richer and more beautiful than that. In God's law, we actually see the heart of the lawgiver, our God. Take, you know, for example, a a simple law from uh, Leviticus, for example, where farmers are told that when they harvest their grapes, which Psalm 104 tells us were given us to make wine to gladden the heart of man... As these grapes are picked, the landowners are not to go over the grapes a second time for the ones that have kind of been missed on the first pass or fallen to the ground. They are to be left over to the sojourner, the refugees in the land. And so we don't kind of read God's law and go, I don't have a, a vineyard, I don't need to apply to that one. It actually gives us an insight into the heart of our God, the lawgiver, to see his great concern for the poor, his great concern for the refugee. As we reflect on God's law, we see the heart of the lawgiver and so our hearts, bit by bit, are softened and bit by bit transformed to love the people God loves and to think how that might apply practically to our situation in Australia as we think about issues like refugees and border protection. As we study God's Word, as we listen to it via an app in the car, discuss it in community group, as you put a verse up on the fridge and try and memorise it and meditate on it through the day, God through His Word, bit by bit, starts to reorder our disordered loves. And I want to say it's so much more than an intellectual exercise. God changes how we feel. He changes how we understand Him. He changes how we understand others and ourselves. And we actually require God's help to do so. It does require, on the one hand, effort from us. The psalmist reflects that in verse 10, where he says, uh, I will seek you with all of my heart, sort of expressing his kind of heart's desire, his will, what he kind of wants to be, and at the same time ask God to help him. Do not let me stray from your commands. 
I want to put it to you this morning that it's through a substantial diet of God's Word that He changes not only just kind of what we think, but how we feel, then the decisions that we make, which transforms our lives. Sort of at the extremes, kind of in the negative, I find it very hard to watch people really struggling in life with circumstances that may well be very tough. But because of our sort of disordered loves, our misunderstandings about God and His ways, our sometimes fragile self-image, sometimes you can kind of watch someone struggling in these ways and there's many people around them wanting to help, wanting to encourage, wanting to pray and wanting to bring comfort from God's Word and to show practical love and affection. Yet everything kind of gets misinterpreted, gestures of love and kindness are misunderstood, dwelt upon, issues arise where they never should and situations can just spiral out of control. That is our disordered loves, our disordered affections and feelings playing out. That is the doctrine of total depravity at work. Only God can fix those things bit by bit Only God can bring order to our disorder and He chooses to do it through His Word. Our second reading today makes very clear that every disciple of Jesus needs to be grounded in Scripture. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. It's on page 972. As you turn there, I want to say, these first opening verses, I think, are one of the scarier parts of the Bible, where Jesus is pointing out to his followers that there is a difference between true and false disciples. Jesus explains there is a fake form of discipleship that may actually be marked by prophecy, exercising demons, and even miracles. And that these people will kind of rock up to Jesus in heaven one day saying, cool, we're finally here, there's Jesus, let us in. To whom Jesus will say, verse 23, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. Then in the next breath, Jesus says, verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus' disciples are to be grounded in Scripture, it's God's Word to us, which Jesus in other parts of the Gospels explain include the whole Old Testament, the whole apostolic record of Jesus' life and the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit through God's Church, as recorded for us in the New Testament as well. Like the psalmist encourages us, Jesus tells us we are to listen to our God who speaks to us through His Word and we are to respond by asking in God's strength to help, for God's help for us to put that into practice in our lives. And as we do so, we are like the wise man who builds his house on rock. Now, 
That's very easy to say in theory, but I want to give you a concrete example of how that really works, of how being grounded in Scripture does work when the storms of life are really blowing. One last turn of the Bible today to Psalm 77, which is on page 582 of your Blue Bibles. As you turn there, let me set the scene for you. I've, uh, uh, I'm actually coming up this year to being a Christian for 20 years, uh, this November, uh, from that hotel room in Athens. As I think back uh, on some of my worst days over those 20 years, the unexpected death of a loved one, I remember that day as one where I had a very tangible and powerful experience of God's Holy Spirit at work in me. There was an extraordinary sense of being close to God and sustained by Him so that I could care for others. However, I've also had some shocking days, some very difficult weeks and sometimes months where it has felt like God is not there at all. I know some of you have experienced that feeling. I know a handful of you are experiencing that at present. During great hardship, because some of us have spent time together on those days. And if we have, I guarantee you I would have turned to Psalm 77, a psalm of lament, and it's one that I have found of great practical assistance. So let's read it together. It's up on screen as well. I cried out to God for help. I cried out for God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? It's a psalm that speaks of someone's great distress and in that distress reaching out to God and feeling that he is absent. And I think there's some fairly kind of unfiltered accusations directed to God there. And I want to say I've preached a whole sermon on this psalm, on, on suffering. It's on our media player. If you want to go back and listen, it's the 1st of February, 2015. But in short, what it shows us is a very real and honest account of our psalmist talking to God in ways that most Christians would never think that we could. We wouldn't kind of talk about this in polite Christian circles. Yet they've been recorded for us here in Scripture. And to the person who is suffering, 
and actually feeling to their great distress like God is absent. Psalm 77 shows us that this is actually part of our life with God at times. We need not panic that we feel this way. We need not doubt that we really are a Christian. We need not doubt that God is there listening. This psalm also shows us that God does not want our prayers of polite and theologically correct lies of the heart that we really don't feel. God wants us to pour out our heart to him, for us to tell him what we really feel. And a psalm like Psalm 77 gives us kind of God's authorised guide on how to do so in words that I suspect many of us would never choose or pray to God on our own. And in the pits of despair, I say to people, now is not the time to kind of sit back and try and work out your theology of suffering and evil and pain in this world. Instead, use Psalm 77 like God intended for us to actually talk to God and to express our very real emotions to Him in faith, even if we feel He's absent. Just that expression of coming to him like that is expressing that, God, I'm, I'm still choosing to believe that you're there and you hear this prayer. What I'm feeling at the moment is part of the Christian experience. And actually use Psalms, like Psalm 77, to teach us how to learn how to suffer well. That, to me, is one example amongst thousands, to kind of show at its heart in the kind of midst of real life what it means to be a disciple who's grounded in Scripture. It's not simply an exercise of the intellect, although of course the intellect is fully involved and our understanding of God and His ways is corrected as we reflect on these things. But it's also engaging the deepest and sometimes darkest corners of our heart with how we feel about God as we engage deeply with God through His Word. And as someone who's kind of feel like I've been kind of right to the edge and back again a couple of times, I want to say that it actually does change your will, your actions, the way that you live, the way that you interpret the world, your assurance, the way that you think and feel. Disciples of Jesus are to be grounded in Scripture. I haven't spent a lot of time today with the kind of usual suspects of, you know, read your Bible more and listen to more sermons and uh, do those kind of things because if you're convinced of the why, the how is actually not that hard. Of course, there are some great things to do and and I want to keep saying too that we're all different. I've been trying to think what a life of Scripture actually looks like uh, for people who are more introverted. As an extrovert, uh, I kind of don't always pick up on that. I sort of think, well, (laughs) actually, for a lot of introverts, uh, sitting in a community group Bible study might be profoundly unhelpful uh, for you in the way that you process. But I want to encourage you to kind of deepen and diversify your diet of God's Word. Maybe just find 
one person that you can catch up with regularly and read the Bible. Find We live in a wonderful age of access to so much information. I do it a lot. I listen to sermons in the car to help me process God's Word. I, you know, walk into people's houses, there's Bible verses written on the fridge that people memorise and try and uh, teach to others and apply throughout the day. There's so many kind of things in there how that we can do if we are convinced of the why that it does us immense good as disciples of Jesus, immense good to our mind and our heart and indeed our will to be thoroughly grounded in Scripture. I'll close there in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who speaks, that uh, whilst you reveal yourself wonderfully through your creation... Uh, that you reveal yourself specifically to us through your word as recorded to us in the Bible. We pray for an active and uh, deep experience of reading your word applied by your Holy Spirit as uh, not only we ask, Lord, for all of us that you would help reorder our disordered loves and affections through your word and by your Holy Spirit powerfully at work in us teaching us bit by bit to love the things you love and to hate the things you hate and to so transform our minds and also our hearts that actually our wills change and that you might transform our very lives to your glory and for the blessing of ourselves and for others. And we ask that you would do this powerful work amongst us uh, by the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.